Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is the man who has been published in Bleacher Report and the Washington Examiner and on NESN.com, SB Nation and The Cauldron. For three years, he was the lead major league baseball writer for the Sports Daily. He was the managing editor on a book published by the Society of American Baseball Research, encompassing the greatest games in Met history. He also contributed to a book on the greatest games at Wrigley Field. His current book, which AJ couldn't hold up properly, which I am now, uh, Mets in Tens, Best and Worst of an Amazing History, is a thorough, detailed, and thoughtful breakdown of of the team's history in top test 10 list form. Uh, categories encompassing topics including the best and worst players and trades, best single game performance for hitters and pitchers, best and worst games and seasons. It's a pleasure to welcome Brian Wright to WLIA Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Brian. Thanks so much, Mark, and uh, good evening to you too, AJ. I'm, I, I agree with him. I'm, I don't think I'd be uh, available to talk about hockey. I'm not, uh, <laughs> I'm not versing... I'm not too uh, well versed in that topic. That, 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 that's our running joke. It is our running yeah. joke. AJ, that, that 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 and golf. Right. I don't. No, that, I, he doesn't do golf. I don't do golf. AJ doesn't do hockey. So you know, AJ alluded to this, and, and this book is every sports you know guy sitting at a, a sports bar or a game. Right. It's their dream. How did you come up with the idea of putting you know a list of, of top tens into a book form, which then also chronicles the history of a franchise through the lists? So uh, as, as you so wonderfully did with the intro, I really appreciate that. I had, uh, had been writing for sites like Bleacher Report and the Sports Daily uh, on the side of, of my regular you know, uh, office career and was just uh, doing you know, just side work uh, on those websites and ma- mainly doing lists, mainly doing whether top 10, 2,500, what have you. And um, if I, I said if I'm ever going to write a book, uh, the, the thing that I know the most about would be the Mets. Uh, I, the one thing I really know a lot about, or I thought I did, and, and, and as I got into the research of the book, I found out I really didn't know as much as I thought. Um, <laughs> but when um, the, the real origin of the book started with the 2015 playoffs, um, with especially specifically the division series, when Chase Utley runs into Ruben Tejada, uh, a clearly dirty play, breaks his leg, gets away with it, started and. And obviously the Dodgers win that game. Of course, they didn't win the series. Started to make me think, going back to his days with the Phillies, Utley's days with the Phillies. Well, where does Chase Utley rank in terms of the greatest <laughs> villains in greatest villains against the Mets? Well, what are the top ten villains in Mets history? Well, what other top ten lists could I do? So it spawned from there. Uh, it became I, I it became an it really it was geared to be or was going to be an independently published book. Thankfully, Arcadia. Publishing and History Press took it on uh, in early 2017, and that's when I really uh, went hard at it uh, and developed these 30 lists. Uh, had about 34, 35, and it whittled down to like 32, and then the last cut went to 30. Uh, so as you said, it, was, uh, it really encompasses the team's history kind of in a different format. I mean, I have a bunch of books, and I'm sure you, you and all your audience have, have read books that, that, that talk about the Mets' history mainly chronologically. Right. Um, so my hope is that this is just kind of a different perspective. At the same time, um, as you touched on, it, you know, 
entices debates. I mean, this is not intended to end debates. It's intended to prolong them or spark them. And and Mark and I were arguing before we went on the air. But but before you go there, he mentioned something which is interesting because it was my very next question. The book's Mm -hmm. broken down into eight chapters. Beginnings, On the Mound, At the Plate, Anguish, The Clubhouse, Noteworthy Games, Champions, uh, Best of the Best, most uh, consisting of four lists each. You mentioned that there were more and, you know, some didn't make the cut. And that was the, the thing I wanted to ask you. What is the one that didn't make the cut, which you, like, really agonized about cutting from the book? There were the two chapters at the end that I had to cut, one sh- much shorter than the other one. The, there was one, uh, a uniforms chapter, uh, which I would have loved to have done, the top, you know, top ten uniforms, which number one would have been just their classic uh, home uniform with the pinstripes. Um, that would have been number one. At, the only the, 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 the hindrance there was just, the, the pictures. We couldn't get clearance on every photo because it was going to be uh, a little entry, you know, a little paragraph, and then the photo of someone wearing that uniform, and we just couldn't get that. Yeah. So that had to be cut. And then the other one was uh, All Star Moments, which would have certainly, number one would have been the Dwight Gooden uh, striking at the side in 1984, obviously pitching to Gary Carter, who was an expo at the time. Uh, also, you know, uh, John Matlack winning co MVP. Uh, David Wright hitting a home run in 2006. Harvey and Wright starting in 2013 at City Field. Um, Jacob DeGrom with his wonderful performance in Cincinnati. So those things uh, would have been uh, included in that top ten all-star list. Those are two things I would have loved to have had. And at the same time, there were a lot of just kind of unique moments I wish I could have included in the book. I'm like Anthony Young's losing streak or like you know talking about John Stearns. Things got, things, things got squeezed out just in the... Uh, just the way the lists were made up, I just couldn't include so, them. So, talk about how the lists were made up. What, what was the harder thing, picking the, the, the material for the list, deciding the list, or doing the rankings? I think that's really what's get people going. Is not so much what you chose to include in each list, but how you did the rankings. Yeah, I mean the ranking. I mean, there's some lists. I'll be honest with you. There's some lists I made up that, looking back at it, and this is, I guess, the beauty of this book. Well, I hope it, it is. Is I look back at the book and I look at some of the lists. And I go, oh, that that guy should be higher. It's like I'm arguing against myself. Right. I'm arguing against, like, me circa 2000, you know, July 2017. I'm like, oh, no, what are you doing? So this is, that's what I'm hoping comes out of the book. I'm not, you know, I'm not here to write the book and be like, oh, I know more than everyone else. I'm just, I'm just one of you saying, hey, here's my say, uh, with, after having done a lot of research on all these topics. So choosing the rankings was the toughest because if I could go back, I, there's some list I would, I, would, I would choose to fix. Well, that's interesting also because you, you say that you go back and it's different. So you, the book starts out with the top ten opening days, and you know AJ talked about the ranking criteria. Um, there were two games in that list that I'm presuming happened before you were born or you might have been one or two. So how did you research those? And when you're reading about it, does it color your frame of reference different than, like, games that you experienced and you remembered the actual feeling of yeah. those opening and, and days? And just be warned, I followed the Mets since their first year in 1962 and was old enough mm-hmm. to remember games in 1962. Uh, just be aware that A.J. <laughs> knows the, uh, the first game of the Chicago Cubs as well. He was there for yeah. the opening Cincinnati day. Cincinnati Reds. The first game of the, the Cincinnati Reds. Red Lights, right. Yes, the Red, Red Lights. Yeah. So go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I, no, I understand. Like, I, I don't have my, – my first game was 1992 when I was five years old. So my history yeah. – uh, I have I don't I can't claim to have seen most of Mets history. Uh, my dad – my dad was a Mets fan, has been a Mets fan since 62. Um, so – 
that influenced me, and I, I got to lean on him for a few of these things, especially that rankings, uh, the rankings of the early Mets. So uh, it's funny. I mean, uh, there are a lot of things. I actually missed what I think missed more in the later years because I, try, I just tried to do it more on memory. I mean, I did a lot of research, but I, it was like I almost like took it for granted. Like it, it was easier for me to get the information because I knew I hadn't seen this stuff, so I, I relied on research. Um, so, like, as you, as you talked about, the, the two opening day, day games that are at the top of the list, I mean, I'll just I'll reveal them. 85, 1985, the Gary Carter game-winning home run against St. Louis in his, in his first game as a Met, and then the 1983 opener in which Tom Seaver returns and pitches uh, six shutout innings against Philadelphia. Um, yeah, I mean, I, most, you know, how I became a Mets fan, watching, you know, the 86 highlight video, the 25th anniversary video, I wore those VHSs out, uh, <laughs> just going to games. And then it, it, it carried on from there, reading a bunch of books and, and highlight videos and, and video and old games. So it's funny. It's it's almost like the older games seem to have more of a. I seem to be able to write those easier. See, and I had a bigger dispute with that chapter on early Mets and the players and how you ranked them. That would have other people way ahead of Ron Hunt. Right, because, because I saw them all play. play. Right, so uh, if you're just tuning in, we're speaking to Brian Wright, author of Mets and Tens. You can see that on the screen right now. Um, the, the one thing that I have the biggest debate, and obviously these lists are always meant to, right. to, to start conversation. Uh, the Mets have always been known for their pitching, and on the mound chapter was just awesome. Uh, you have the best starting rotation list, and it's a great mm-hmm. list. And, you know, for years, the debate's always been the 1969 Mets versus the 1986 Mets, the pitching staff. In fact, and, and you know, Mark and I agree on this one. And, you know, we've even gone that way back in our yeah. early days, we did the what if, and we had yeah. recreations using uh, a sim you know, simulator right. yeah. of different World right. Series, and we always in 69 versus 86. Um, you make a case that it's more the 1968 staff versus the 1986, or even more so the 86 versus the 88 for top honors. Why mm-hmm. is that? Why why does the 1960 Met staff not rank as number one nor number two in, in your top ten list? Oh, why does 1969 not rank number yeah. one or two? Yeah. This yeah, staff. I mean, I kind of took it all, I mean, if in terms of, of impact, I mean, 1969 uh, rules overall, but probably 1986, I kind of looked at them all uh, in kind of a, 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 as much of an unbiased perspective as I could, taking into account all the different factors uh, that were at, at the time. I mean, 1968, we all know, you're the pitcher. Uh, it was, it was, you know, the mound was was not as high, and and it helped the pitcher. Um, I just, I mean, it's, it. I tried to take into account everything, all the different parameters. Uh, uh, back then, I mean, pitchers were of course going longer. They were able to win more games, so wins meant more um, back in the '60s. But '68 just stood out more. I know that probably there was more of an advantage for the pitchers, uh, but they, you know, with Seaver and Kuzma, obviously, were at the top of the rotation. Um, and you had guys even at the back of the rotation, like Nolan Ryan, who had a 3.09 ERA, and, and, and Don Cardwell had an ERA below three. It, uh, and Dick Selma had an ERA below three. So I'm, I'm actually looking at it right now. So those, those, that, that seemed to be more balanced. Uh, and and uh, Kuzman almost won Rookie of the Year. Seaver was in his second year. Um, that, one, that, one stood, that one just yeah. kind of was more balanced yeah. than 69 to me. Well, the, the counter-argument is, of course, the 69 team won because of their pitching right. with very, mm-hmm. very suspect hitting. And the 86 yeah. team had a much better lineup. 
Right, but uh, listen, eight, listen. Yeah. The, the mate for me will That's always it, be yeah. sixty nine, eighty six, as well yeah. as sixty eight was yeah. good and eighty eight was good. To me, you know, Seaver and Kuzman, uh, arguably yeah. the best two pitchers in Met history, yeah. and those yeah. were maybe the two best yeah. years together. You know, back to back. Yeah. I would always no, go sixty nine. I, I, I of course turn to the chapter on internal feuds. I looked at the you know <laughs> the bad stories first, see what you picked, and actually I agreed with you in your top two there. That 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 number one was the Donald Grant. Tom Seaver yeah. feud that led to Seaver being right. sent out of town, yeah. and then mm-hmm. the battle between uh, Fred Wilpon and Nelson Doubleday over control of the team. Mm-hmm. So you w- were not around for the Seaver Grant back and forth, and had Dick Young involved, and that got very complicated with that. You were for mm-hmm. Wilpon and Doubleday. What, what were the factors you used to look at both of those? Well, I mean, the the M. Donald Grant and and Tom Seaver feud, which which kind of which uh, which simmered for a while and then really boiled, boiled over in 1977 uh, to the point where they, of course, traded him to Cincinnati. To me, that was almost if I have to, if I had to use a term from, that the NCAA uses was almost a intern an internal death penalty for the Mets. I mean, they once they traded Tom Seaver. I mean, they weren't a good team then, but I mean, when your meal ticket goes away, I mean, the the, no, the fans stopped showing up. Uh, the team obviously started was was. In was the were the dregs of the National League or Major Leagues for the next uh, so through 1983 pretty much uh, that had such a an impact on on the team just uh, just financially and I get also um, and just in the standings I mean I know that the whole Wilpon Doubleday feud yeah. led to, might have led to some issues but yeah. but when you trade away Tom Seaver I mean that's got to and, yeah. and no matter and once and it's, in, and it's the chairman of the team that basically causes yeah. it. Um, that to me tops everything. It just had it had the biggest. Uh, it was the biggest wow factor of everything. And then you get, as you said, Dick Young gets involved in the uh, and Donald Grant feud, and uh, he kind of also right. stirred the pot a little. Oh, so he had a son-in-law who worked for the team. Yeah. Got really, really complicated. Yeah. So you know, yeah. one of the things that that fans always love to talk about are the busts. And mm-hmm. you know, the Mets, like every franchise, had their share. And, and I have to. And AJ talked about this as well. And you know, if you're Goal was to inspire debate. It certainly right. did that. But but I have to ask you a question. You know, so Vince Coleman, Jason Bay, obviously did not have substantial Met careers, but mm. they did have moments where they contributed to a win or or two, for that matter. Jason Bay, you know, due to health issues and, and concussions, yeah. wasn't the player we expected to get. Mm-hmm. However, and Vince Coleman's really firecracker of a player. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And you know, his son of a bleach. Yeah. Um, so you know. When you take a guy number one overall over Reggie Jackson, and the guy never plays a single game in the major leagues, how can he not be the biggest bust in the franchise history? Well, I took it as, and it, it's good that you mentioned uh, Steve Chilcott, number one, uh, who was who was number one to overall pick, number one of the one of I guess three players who never played a major league game, um, because a lot of people when they think of bust, they think of the big free agent signings, the big trade acquisitions. So, uh, I mean, he was worthy of being number one overall, and, and just because of a lot of different things, I mixed both of those two subcategories, the failed draft picks and the failed big names together. Um, I took it as who, who had the most hype that just flopped the biggest. And Vince Coleman, uh, I wouldn't say he had the biggest hype out of every Met acquisition, but he flamed out. Just so tremendously, and was the poster child for the terrible PR uh, that well, the Mets. See, I would argue with that. I would say Bobby Benilla on the same team. But Benilla was the had bigger yeah. flame out. Benilla had a few All Star appearances. He was right. not yeah. 
He's not as bad he as Vince. Amazing, but he was yeah. not awful. Vince Coleman like was detrimental. And he was an awful human being. Right. He was just a terrible right. person. I mean, he didn't know, like, yeah. barely knew who Jackie Robinson was, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Um, so, but to me, that's how I factored it in. I, I kind of said, okay, who was supposed to like be? And, I mean, when you take a guy number one, of course, you expect him to eventually make the big leagues. But not every number one pick turns out to be yeah. uh, wonderful, as we saw with like Paul Wilson. Um, but I, I took I took it that way, and that's how I kind of melded the two subcategories into make that one whole bust list. So if you were doing that list today, would Matt Harvey crack that list? Uh, I, I don't know. He would not. Um, and actually, it's funny. I was started to think about it <laughs> as, when I was making this list in 2017. And I, and I, I mean, he had enough good moments, uh, 2013 and 2015 specifically, Certainly, we expected a lot longer uh, of of greatness from him, and I think he he thought he was worthy of, of of he thought he was going he thought he was already worthy of of that high ranking after just two years or high status after two years two great years. So, but no, I mean I, I don't think it was he was worthy yeah. of being one of the all time Met bus. Certainly was a disappointment, uh, and also certainly I think his time was, had come to uh, to leave New York. So the list you don't have, you have the list of the best managers. I think it would be a mm-hmm. fun list to put together the 10 worst managers. You know, who would you start with? Oh, would you start with, with Jeff Torborg? Would you start with, uh, uh, you know, Joe Frazier, Joe not Frazier. the boxer. I think you know, Joe, Joe Frazier, Frazier would probably be the There's worst. a whole list of people to Frazier, look at. Yeah. Uh, Roy McMillan. Roy McMillan. And that, that would be a fun list. Yeah, that you know, would West, be a West, West, Salty Parker. Up, I don't know if you come up with 10 worst managers. Because the guy yeah. at number 10, you know, the... Well, you end up overlapping. Could be a you know a Buddy Harrelson. Hey, listen, you know, you, Terry Collins could conceivably make the yeah. top ten, and, 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 that. and he has yeah. the most Mets wins. Right. In yeah, Terry, Terry, yeah, Terry Collins is right where I think he should be at number right in the middle. Right. He wasn't yeah. great. He wasn't well, awful. Right. He, I mean, I I could go both ways on him. I certainly he certainly his time was up at, at the end of 2017, and I could make a case for letting him go earlier. But he, yeah. he's right in this sweet spot about at number five. He. he he didn't. I mean, he may, if you make a World Series, even if the team is winning in spite of you, uh, it's <laughs> you're still doing something right. Lastly, and this is also something that could be debated all night long, and it's one of those things that if you play some of those sim games and you you know, get into a league where you're taking the franchise best to, to make a team, that's always fun. And you have a, a, a best you know All Star team out of Mets you know Team A and the the second. All-Star team. So I'm just wondering on that. Um, obviously, the biggest debate position-wise would be Gary Carter versus Mike Piazza. And I'm wondering why, you know, Carter you have on the second team, Piazza on the first. Um, and I'm just wondering why you wouldn't choose to put Gary Carter or, no, actually, Gar- Mike Piazza as the DH on the first All-Star team with Carter as the catcher and use Hojo as the DH on the second team. I'm just wondering uh, why that. It's, no, it's a it's a great uh, it's a great idea. I I um, I think the reason I'm I'm thinking back. I mean, I guess I I kept uh, Mike Piazza as the DH, um, or I kept Mike Piazza as a catcher. I should say because right. uh, of you know how many games he was. You know, he was mostly a catcher. I mean, I know right. Howard Johnson was not. Uh, there was no chance of him being a DH. Uh, but I I wanted I I guess my reasoning was. Uh, I wanted to balance, kind of a balanced lineup. I uh, wanted to include Howard Johnson. I don't think he got enough, uh, 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 maybe credit or uh, enough uh, plug in the book. So I felt he deserved to be on the the first team. Um, and I know Gary Carter deserved uh, as much praise as anyone, and certainly during when I talk about you know uh, 
the the biggest, you know, the best opening days. He certainly his debut is on there, um, and uh, the nineteen eighty six team. He certainly gets a lot of mention. Uh, so that was probably my reason. It was it was something I was I actually was thinking about. Uh, was changing around, you know, putting Mike Piazza as a DH and Gary Carter, and then you maybe put Jerry Grody as the backup catcher. Right. Uh, things like that. I mean, I did I did think that through, um, but I, I I left it as uh, Mike Piazza as the catcher because he's you know in the Hall of Fame as a Met as a catcher. I kind of wanted to let things be and just and just keep him as the Mets' all-time starting catcher. And Choo Choo Coleman never entered into that conversation. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought about him. <laughs> one of the best nicknames. All right, Brian, where can people get a hold of this great new book? They can, it's uh, it's at uh, local bookstores uh, all in the, all across the New York area and on Long Island and. Uh, New Jersey and Connecticut, I'm sure. Uh, you can also get it on Amazon or any of the major uh, online retailers. Excellent, Brian. Thanks so much. It's a great book. It, you know, if you're going to a bar, you, you want to take it. If you're sitting right. down watching a Met game with friends, it's very cool. It definitely inspires a lot of conversation. So, job well done. We really appreciate you coming on with us tonight. Thanks so much, Mark and AJ. I really appreciate okay. it. Our pleasure. Brian Wright, author of Mets in Tens.